you need to change because it also opens up new opportunities and it takes you forward. And sometimes, though, it's enough to look forward. You don't have to be moving forward. But facing in that right direction is almost like your intention is there. And so that really helps. You are listening to Double Espresso with D, with me, D Sterling. I love a great story. So in this season, I will talk to incredible people who've experienced huge, pivotal moments of real change by choice or by circumstance. From stories of reinvention and inspiring career pivots to the dramatic shifts that happen in moments of crisis, I hope you can join us each week to hear about their fascinating and inspiring journeys. My guest today is my dear friend, Annie DeMamiel. Annie grew up in rural Australia, and after an early career in the pharmaceuticals industry, she pivoted into finance and excelled as a trader on the financial markets. Alongside her fast-lane career, she also pursued her love of sport and became one of Australia's top women triathletes. Subsequently, Annie faced some major life-changing health issues which she survived. And today, she is a world-renowned skin health specialist and founder of Demamiel, a natural skincare range activated by science and designed to treat the impact of stress on the skin. Today, we discuss her journey, her challenges and her epiphanies. Welcome, Annie Demamiel. Hello, Dee. How are you? Really well. It's so wonderful to see you. Thank you for being with me today for this episode of the Change Sessions. So Annie, you grew up in rural Australia. In your late teens, early 20s, you became one of Australia's top three women triathletes and you started your career in the pharmaceutical industry. Take me to that point. Why pharmaceuticals? Because it was there. In all honesty, it's really interesting in that I was studying chiropractic, I was doing my bachelor in anatomy and physiology, and that bit was done. And it's the opportunity came up and I went and had an interview. I'm not even quite sure why I went for the interview. I think it was right. a bit of a challenge. It was like, oh, this sounds interesting. It was the allure of it came with a car, it came with travel, it came with earning some real money. Yeah, all the benefits, right? I know, I know. And honestly, it was, um, I went for the interview and the fellow who interviewed me turned out to be my best boss, the best boss I have ever, ever had. But the funny thing was, we turned up and he had a black eye and I walked into the interview and I just laughed at him. (laughs) <laughs> and um, you expect me to be serious with your black eye? He'd gotten playing football or something. And he taught me so much. And um, Abbas was just the most incredible mentor. I think I just learned about um, just being in a team, how important that was, how it was um, just the importance of just doing your best all of the time and giving it all that you have, even right. when it was such, it was a role that what well, didn't suit me necessarily, but it was just fun and I loved it. You know, the pivot into finance came many years later where I sort of left Eli Lilly and went on to travel 
And then when I was traveling as, you know, the rite of passage for all Australians, you know, I just felt I needed something more exciting when I got back. And so I went for a job at Ord Manette and I got it. But it was once again, it was something that I'd never studied. I hadn't studied economics. I hadn't studied maths, but it was interesting and I was fascinated in it. And I think that's sort of a big telltale for me is I do things at 100% or no percent. And once I'm involved, I just dive right in and just learn as much as I can. And it just excites me. And how was that time in finance? It's clearly a very different world, although there are parallels to the pharmaceutical (laughs) industry in more ways than one, shall we say. Take me back to the highlights of that time. And the lows, because there are probably a few of those. (laughs) Exactly. But it was very dynamic and once again, so team orientated and it was still open outcry on the floor. So it really was like adrenaline and excitement and fun and the highs were high and the lows were low. But things like, you know, you still had restrictions as to what you could wear and how you could dress and things like that, which, you know, it is what it was. And it, you know, but it was really an amazing, amazing time. And I sort of, you know, I literally talked my way into an interview and we, I just got on with a, um, my lovely boss who interviewed me and he gave me a chance. He liked the way that I sort of just, I guess, grasped life and went for it. And that's not possible nowadays. So um, I felt very lucky to be a part of that time. What did you learn about yourself during that time when you were on the floor screaming with everyone else? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I learned how to run up a very big expense bill. (laughs) But also I think I learned about very much about the social aspect and bringing and how to form really solid relationships and that relationships develop in very different ways and they can take you down many different directions. So, and there are different types of sort of business relationships. And I think, you know, that was really instrumental in sort of the rest of my life because it was so fast. I didn't know anything and you're sort of thrown in in the deep end. And it literally is like being fed to the sharks where you sink or swim. And my goodness, I just swam as fast as I could. It's extraordinary. These experiences that test your adaptive potential, right? We've literally yeah. got no choice. And Annie, some while down the road, you know, you experienced loss of friends and so forth. And, you know, I believe your, your boss or someone you were close to passed away one year. And, you know, you were going through change again. Take me to that point because you were at a, a, another, I guess, fork in the road where you decided to pivot again. Yeah, very suddenly Bruce passed away. Um, it was Christmas Eve. And, you know, he had a young family. He died of a heart attack. And it was really shocking. It rocked me to my absolute core. And there was sort of, you know, we dabbled in so much at that time. And I really feel that was sort of a a, a wake-up call for me to to just go, is this what you really want? Is this where you want to be? I think, like I said before, I'm somebody who is all or nothing. And if I hadn't, didn't leave that world, I'm not quite sure where I would have ended up because, you know, new experiences, new situations, you know, that drive of force of adrenaline is so addictive. And I think it's, you know, can become very unhealthy. Um, I think 
times are very different now, but back then it was all just, it wasn't all just party, but, you know, it was very much around that. So Bruce taught me many, many things, but I think that was his biggest lesson to me. You know, you clearly can still almost feel that feeling, I sense, of of how dramatic and terrible that moment was. How quickly after that did you decide to make a change? Um, Quite quickly. When I do big things like that, it's now or never, very much. And I sort of decided, you know, I think for me, my fascination, even as a child, like growing up, was very much about the human body and physiology. And I just, like, it excites me in a different way. Um, it sounds a bit bonkers, but I just love the human body is such a miracle. It, it's so, so amazing. And so at that point, I decided to go back to finish my chiropractic degree. Was that a risk for you to just leave, you know, the world of finance where you're oh, earning lots of money? You know, you had a, a yeah. wild but very structured life in some respects. <laughs> it was a massive risk because, you know, you're going from hero to zero almost. How did that feel when you actually, you know, walked to the other side of the road metaphorically and you were longer in that world with all the benefits and the perks and the excitement and the adrenaline and you were starting on a new road, which you were financing yourself, obviously. Yeah, it was just like, what the hell have I done? And you have that moment of like, my goodness. But, you know, that passes very quickly um, because, you know, you have to just get on with it. And I think once again, you know, that's very much me of like, okay, this is the task. Let's just get on with it and do it. And just, I guess, cover yourself with what it is that needs to, to be done. Just be pragmatic and approach. So any sometime later, um, you, uh, were diagnosed with brain cancer. Where were you at that time? And what went through your mind at that moment? So my primary was cervical at sort of at that moment, um, and that was in July 97. So I was studying at the university, and, um, you know, it's very, it's shocking. It's literally, it's like, oh, oh, okay. But also it's just, you know, you're given a whole lot of stuff about, this is what we're going to do. Um, and for me, it's like, hold on. No, that doesn't sit with me. I, this isn't right. What didn't feel right at the time? Um, so just the plan of approach right. in that it was, you know, talking about it had, you know, progressed very quickly. And we were talking about, you know, uh, hysterectomies and all sorts of things. And, you know, I was a 26, 27-year-old sort of female that hadn't even explored any of those elements yet. And so, you know, I went through several different doctors um, going, no, 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 until I found a very, very special doctor, Dr. Hill, who looked after me. But also in this time, my goal was to sail around the world. And I'd always thought I would love to learn how to sail. And then this race came into, so in the March of that year, this race came into Sydney Harbour and I wandered down to the boats and started chatting to one of the girls who sort of was on the boat and and I was like oh another idea seemed to start bubbling up and it was like oh I think I could do this this would be really cool (laughs) and so I literally went and found out how to do the next race which was four years away and so I went off then learned to sail 
And that became such a driving force behind everything that informed the next sort of, probably, gosh, the next sort of five, 10, 20 years of my life. Tell me about, because you were, you know, you were dealing with your treatment. There was a further diagnosis down the road. You were preparing for this race. Was that the driver that kept you going during those times that were trying as well? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's one of the things that I said to Dr. Hill was very much like, I want to be on that boat. You know, when it leaves Southampton in September 2000, I'm going to be on that boat. So our goals with my doctor and what we were planned to do had to get me on that boat. Right. To the point of, you know, I remember going through chemotherapy and being so sick. And I had a picture of a boat in the Southern Ocean above the toilet. And my mantra there was like, I'm practicing for the Southern Ocean. Yeah, of Um, course. So it was the thing that everything get coming back to that was like, will that get me on the boat? Will that get me forward? Will that, you know, get me to the start line? So it became very much about that. And you were later diagnosed with, with, you know, another cancer and Mm -hmm. with some, you know, shocking uh, life expectancy. How did you handle that? Because, you know, one time round was a lot. You were dealing with treatment, which was making you ill. How did you cope with that? Um, So once again, I think my way of looking at this stuff is don't believe what you're first told. Like find out the facts, investigate. Because, you know, at that point I had gotten on the boat. We'd started the race. We had come into Argentina, um, to Buenos Aires. Right. And so... That was when I my the liver diagnosis sort of had come up, but I'd gone back to London because my once again my goal was to sail into Sydney Harbour. There was no way I was going to fly into Sydney Harbour, and so I went back, had more treatment, and literally just found myself in this place of you just have to get on with it. You just have to get on with it. You know, I read you know, had some great sort of help and mentors through that process where I came back from, uh, I flew from London to Wellington into New Zealand and saw my teammates come in and, you know, prepared myself for getting on the boat to sail into Sydney Harbour and sort of which was my big homecoming. And then when we were in, um, we then sailed from Sydney to um, to Cape Town in which there you know, my lung ones came up on the scan. I sort of I was only allowed to join the race under certain criteria. Right. And at that point, the doctor said, that's when I had my, you have six months to live. And, um, you know, I won't tell you exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> it was like along the lines of, you know, what the hell do you know? And who the hell are you to tell me I have six months to live? So... It became very much a, <laughs> you can't tell me that. And literally two weeks ago, we celebrated my 20 years on party, which was 20 years. Oh my God, so, Annie. That's incredible. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. Incredible. So, With everything that you have been through. Yeah. Gosh, I'm so proud. I'm so happy. Oh, do you know, it's, um, like I said, now it's just one of those things. It's not, it doesn't define me. It's a part of who I am, but it's not the sole purpose. And I think, you know, you have things that we all have issues and we all have obstacles and massive challenges in our lives. And no one's is bigger than anybody else's. They're just different. So 
you approach them, you deal with them, you move on. Oh, I do. That's just what I do. And when you when you were told that, you know, obviously the fighting spirit came out, but practically what did you decide to do? Because I guess, you know, at some points in your life, you've decided to change certain aspects to survive, right? What did you do at that point? I just researched. I found somewhere that I could go and really look after myself and every alternative measure possible. But firstly, I got back on that boat and I sailed into Southampton. And I think we were probably back for about a week. And then I went to a clinic in Mexico. And there's now a number of these sorts of clinics. But this was so innovative in that it combined the mental aspect, the physical aspect, as well as the medical aspect. So, you know, we were having like all sorts of injections and like medicines as well. And, you know, we all sorts of what we'd call hippy-dippy stuff. But to me, there was process in it. And I really believed that every bit was playing a small part. So I think I was there for about four weeks and and just, you know, over time, we really, it's, you know, I implemented those into my life and, you know, I just now constantly research, constantly look at new clinical trials, trying to really think about what is properly out there and investigate any of that. And it worked for me. You know, I was really ready and open to having to do everything and like unpeel all of the emotional layers that, you know, there's some really strong evidence that like we need to understand and to do so much on our emotional aspect and well-being to properly get well. And, you know, it's hard. It's difficult. How did you go about that? Obviously, it was a different point in time. Today, people are more open, aren't they, to a range of therapies, medical, clinical, holistic and other. People are more open to talking about how they feel. You know, when we started our careers, you just got on with it and you didn't complain and, um, you know, you didn't show weakness or emotion. How did you go about that emotional kind of exploration at that time when you were getting yourself better? I guess I didn't have a choice. Because if I didn't do that, then, you know, the alternative was not to be here. And I guess that was the thing. I, I had a deep understanding of that. And I lis- um, you know, listened and just really said, dove in. Because, you know, I'm not somebody who would tend to tell the world how I was doing. And, and you know, because that was my way, you know said, you know, you grew up in a small country town and you just got on with things. And, you know, it was like, okay, I read so much. I really just began to look at all different sorts of philosophies around it from, you know, quantum physics to, you know, the fully emotional thing and just really looking at every aspect and understanding how the body works and what we could do at a cellular level, what we could do at that emotional level. And then, you know, at a physical level as well, because I was always somebody who exercised and moved. And that was the thing that I really sort of didn't want to stop doing. And But bringing that all into a different way that I did things. You know, I honestly believe that all of the training that I'd previously done in, um, you know, Ironman and those sorts of things had given me the mental strength I bet. to do what I had to do. And I kept falling back onto that because, you know, if you can push yourself through those physical pain barriers, 
and to keep on going and to keep on moving, then you um, you could do anything or, you know, you can train your mind to do anything. And I really believe that you can. No, it's so interesting. And Annie, you subsequently, you know, you 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 believe in lifelong learning. So, you know, you went back to study. Uh, you you have a degree in Chinese medicine. You're trained aromatherapist. You're you're highly skilled in many domains that are related to this area. And you started creating products and treating clients. And you set up Demamuel. So another another leap, shall we say, in 2010. Yeah. Tell me about that point. How was setting up the business? in your name and, you know, taking this new road? I think, do you know, I actually think that's probably one of the most terrifying, yeah, it is terrifying, that's too harsh a word, but certainly one of the most challenging things because there's so much emotional attachment to, to some of this because it's you, it's my name out there. And I have a sense that when people, um, when I treat them, when I see them, they become part of, it's my responsibility to look after them. Like it's, um, I really sort of take them in, not flock sounds a bit of an airy fairy term, um, but I really feel that, you know, I'm there to help them and that's my purpose. And that's what really, really fulfills me. But, you know, the whole thing of creating products, doing products and making them, I had to You know, for me, it was about giving people tools to ease the stress in their life, because when it sort of all boiled down to um, to to it, like stress becomes and is the core of so much imbalance in our bodies. And so before people got to that point um, here, like I really felt like I had the gift of being able to help people with tools uh, with doing that. And so the business really started by accident in that I would sort of treat people, would sort of see what they needed, and I'd go home and make things, come and use them. And then if you were lucky at the end of the day, um, I mean, most people sort of said, oh, can I have some to take home? I'd literally just give them the pot and come home and make more. And then Chris, my husband, just said, um, you can't keep doing that. That's not very good business. <laughs> not very commercial. Um, yeah, exactly. And still, it's really funny, like, looking where I've come from I'm not very good at commerciality but um to me it was just like oh oh okay and so we literally put a label on sort of put together a website and it sort of the rest is almost not history but it's sort of happened and so much of the business has been about word of mouth and about things happening almost by accident it was like oh gosh you know three weeks after we'd done the um they put the website up the products were called in by Netaporte um, for a meeting and we were like, oh, okay. And then we had to go to a meeting. And um, I remember sort of walking down sort of at the meeting with, you know, a little bag full of bits and pieces. And it was like, oh yeah, yeah, we love them. Um, we want to do them next month. And, and we're like, oh my God, like we can't do that. We don't have boxes. We don't have all of these things. Oh, I know. It's just the best, isn't it? These moments are really the best because you have no choice but to get stuck in. And of course, you know, you were taken up by Netaporty very, very rapidly within a matter of, of weeks, basically. You are now stocked across the globe. You've won multiple awards. Um, what have you learned about yourself in this process of building the business? <laughs> Do you know, the thing is, isn't it? It's like you never stop learning. Every day is a new lesson. And do you know, 
I really think that it comes down to how much I believe in just hard work, but never ever losing sight of what it is that you truly believe in. And going back to that purpose of this is about creating, you know, tools for people to help people. And that's always been the closest thing to my heart. It's really about, you know, making sure that we deliver the most amazing quality product. And it's, you know, it's so easy to become distracted. It's so easy because exciting things pop up along the way. It's like, oh, could you do this? Could you do that? And it's like, oh my God, these people want me. Like, and you get on that sort of treadmill, but then it doesn't take you to your end goal. And so it's like, okay, my that's not my purpose. That's really lovely, but it's not my purpose. This is what I really want it to be. You know, we've had sort of several conversations with people about different things and and but to me just that delivering a product that really really works and makes such an incredible difference um otherwise there's no point in producing just another smelly oil or just another you know cleansing balm this is about having to work on you know on an emotional level on a physical level on the skin and on a very cellular level so it takes a proper holistic view and a holistic way of working, which I think is quite unique. Tell me, Annie, to that point, um, clearly the interconnection of those three elements is pivotal and fundamental to your work and to what you create. Where do you think the greatest imbalance lies? Because, you know, we are made of matter mm -hmm. and spirit, I believe, at least. Um, and if we're not giving attention to one, other things will be out of out of sync and out of balance. Today, where do you think the greatest imbalances are? Do you think it's stress across the board? Is it cellular? Is it emotional? I don't think that we can actually pick one because it's whatever impacts something as a knock-on effect. It, you know, the body is this kinematic chain, and I think it's something that we forget, especially in the Western world where we look at things in isolation. And quite often, our bad back is our may not be coming from the back. It's coming from the hips and the knees or the ankle, for example. But it's looking at what's created that because it's sort of like this moving thing of imbalance. And, you know, as scientific research goes on and on, you know, like 10 years ago, talking about the fact that our gut impacted our mind and our emotions was probably laughed at in some circles. But we now know that the gut, you know, there's so much goes on in the microbiome in terms of the hormones that it makes. And, you know, it's important in the creation of like making serotonin, which is our happy drug and makes us feel better. So all of those things um, have an impact on that. And the stress is a big knocker of all of those things. But, you know, it's sort of, and that's, I guess, what I do. I, my sort of deal is that I really dig deep to understand what is the root cause of all of this? And that's what we address. And so from that is the pivotal point of creating something that gets back to balance. So how do you translate that into your own life? Because you have, uh, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you treat clients all over the world, you travel, you are in your laboratory on your organic farm creating as well. What is your secret if there were one to, yeah. you know you know to live a life that represents your values and translates itself into a, a healthy living as such 
healthy way of living. Yeah, it's really difficult. Um, I want to know the secret. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I always talk about it, and, and you know this very well. It's about going back to the breath. It's very much about creating space in your diary and making that happen. So allocating time for you and just really understanding because, you know, we always think everything else is more important. Other people are more important. So it's, true. You know, the children, the, you know, the relationship, all of those things are important. But if you are not in a place of health and balance and feeling good, then that will have a knock-on effect in everyone around you. And so it's creating time and space in for you. And, you know, whether that's, you know, so which is what we sort of we sort of talk about quite regularly in clinic is that whole thing of, you know, routine to ritual, ritual to results where. Which I um, love. Yeah, thank you. It's really about, you know, okay, we need to clean. Like how can we multitask? That's in a really beneficial way. So, you know, we have to we clean our skin. We have moisturize and all of these wonderful things, face massage. But by adding like the inhalation and the smell to that and by layering, so we're impacting all of those elements, the emotional, the physical and the cellular, we're doing that. You know, we are switching from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system through, you know, inhalations and through the brain. And, you know, it's about cutting that time and that will then help with cortisol and stress as we begin to slow everything down those little things can make such a difference. It's so interesting. And I think we are in a world where we are very distracted. You know, people are distracted. They're on their laptop, but they're looking at their phone and they're looking at something else and they've got notifications popping up and there's noise and they're called. It's endless. And and you a few moments ago said that, you know, in business terms, you are very focused on the purpose of what you are doing and what you're looking to produce. And that has meant that, you often say no, even if there are interesting opportunities and collaborations and so forth that come down the pipeline. How do you manage that? I had some amazing mentors and I've had some sort of incredible mentors in the business that we keep going back and we can sort of talk things through with and having that support around you because, you know, it's, it's so different now and that you're on so much of the time, but really just having stops. So, you know, really trying to go at 9.30, this is my phone, this is phone, dead, stop. Like, you know, this is my bath time. This is, um, that sounds like sort of going back to school. But, you know, having scheduling, things like that, I think is so important because it comes up like a meeting. And so your mind goes, oh, it's now time to, you know, to eat. And like food and nutrition and feeding ourselves um, in the right way is so important. You know, exercise and just constantly checking in with your purpose. I think step back and then look at the whole picture. You know, I very much look at that in terms of clinic and everything that we do. It's like in terms of health, it's like what's the whole picture? What's everything that's going on here rather than everything in isolation? A hundred percent because it's a, a continuum, isn't it? It's an ecosystem. And I think part of the, the issue is people don't quite know what road they're on. You know, it's very flattering mm. if you're in the business world and you get called on the next big opportunity, but it in some ways chooses you rather than the other way around to your point. And I think this is a thing that people struggle with. And you've been through an awful lot of change in your life. Some of it you've just jumped, well, all of it you've dealt with and you've jumped into it. 
sometimes by choice, sometimes because you had no choice. How do you handle change today? And how do you feel about change? <laughs> Bring it on! <laughs> um, you know, I think if we don't change, we stay still and then they catch yeah, you. True. <laughs> so true. And stagnation, and I mean, stillness is a great thing, but stagnation is not. And I think one of the great analogies we learn in Chinese medicine was um, it's like a compost heap, isn't it? And if you don't move and change, and if you put your hand inside a, a compost heap, you get lots of heat and then it just goes off. And I think that, oh, it goes smelly. But so I think you need to change because it also opens up new opportunities and it takes you forward. And sometimes, though, it's enough to look forward. You don't have to be moving forward. But facing in that right direction is almost like it can, your intention is there. And so that really helps. And it's great to reflect and go backwards. I mean, like to reflect on what you, where you've come from. But change is something that we welcome, although sometimes not quite so rapidly. But then. <laughs> if you look back on your life and if you were talking to your 20-year-old self, what would you say to that beautiful young woman? <laughs> oh, dear. Um, it's like believe in yourself and you can do it. Like it will happen. Just be the best that you can at what you're doing. And um, one of the funny things that I always, I would say is wear sunscreen. Oh, God, I know. Right. <laughs> at all times, even in front of your laptop because of those rays. So, Annie, listen, it's been wonderful to talk to you. And um, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute, absolute honour. So thank you. I absolutely loved talking to Annie today. It has reminded me how we bear the responsibility for ourselves in more ways than one. Annie's absolute refusal to accept the first answer from anyone, whether that was in business or, crucially, in her medical challenges, is so life-affirming and reinforcing and reminded me that we really need to sit with our instinct. This constant questioning, the way she took charge of her own health, her own well-being, shows enormous strength of character and determination. And it's something that led her to what she does now, focusing on really, truly helping people, sharing what she knows about the body in balance and the idea of routine to ritual, rituals to results. The way she talks about cleaning up how we multitask, to slow us down rather than make us busier, moving our nervous system from the accelerator to the brake and slowing everything down really resonates with me. What I learned from our conversation is that change is life. We live through change consciously or unconsciously all the time and need to be open to it. Moving and moving forward are vital. Today, Annie lives more gently with intention and mindfulness, but she also doesn't let herself remain static. Change is a constant feature of her life. Bring it on, she says. She's open to change all the time, which lets so much possibility into her life. Such an inspiring thought for all of us. Thank you as always for listening and see you next week. Ciao for now. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on Double Espresso with Dean. 
do connect with me on Instagram at D double espresso. I love hearing your feedback and what has resonated with you. And don't forget to join me next week for another amazing guest interview. Until then, au revoir.